And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. Welcome, everybody, and hello to a new week. We are live from the bunker here at Sci-Fi For Me TV. My name is Jason Hunt. I am the editor here at Sci-Fi For Me.com. Glad to have all of you here with us. We are broadcasting live. Odyssey, Facebook, and YouTube. Looks like everything's there. If you are here in replay, you can still leave us a comment. You can jump in the chat if you're here. Uh, we're also available in podcast form on a number of different player platforms, so you can join us there. You can always leave us a comment, a rating, feedback through email, live from the bunker at sci fi for me.com. And it is one of those things, uh, every now and again, I tell you, something happens. And then I say, give it time, and the rest of it plays out. And that's kind of what we've got going here with Lightyear. And uh, joining us today to talk about it, at least briefly, Paul DeGarabedian, who is the Senior Media Analyst at Comscore. He's been a guest on this program before. Welcome back, sir. Jason, great to be here. Thank you so much. So, (laughs) what happened to, to Lightyear? Well, Lightyear was interesting because I I think we all recall the trailers that dropped. I think it was last summer or last year that looked really cool. Like the trailer, and as we all know, trailers often uh, are better than the movie. <laughs> Not always. But uh, in this case, I was really psyched to see it. Uh, Chris Evans voicing uh, Lightyear seemed interesting, though Tim Allen, of course, we all know uh, and love from the original Toy Story movies. So kind of everything was in place and we've come to expect with Pixar movies that they generate a certain level of box office because God, I mean, look at those films since 1995's Toy Story, $14.7 billion in box office, countless number one debuts, uh, just a very well-reviewed generally speaking, particularly in that early mid period where they couldn't miss. And Incredibles 2 and, and Toy Story 3 and 4 generating over a billion dollars each at the global box office. So anytime you have a Pixar movie, it's a big deal. This one, I, I think everyone thought it would open to 70, 75 million in, you know, domestically US and Canada. Yeah, that came was in with about 50 million. Yeah. And then this past weekend it dropped 65% to about 17 million. The film is at about nine closing in on 90 million domestically. So I've seen a number of people trying to make excuses, trying to trying to, you know, shift the blame, point the fingers. I mean, there's all sorts of reasons why people are sitting there saying why it why it failed. But to me, it seems like this is a combination of a number of different things. Um, Yes. The main thing, I guess, being I mean, well, one of the main things being the fact that you don't have Tim Allen back as, as the voice of Buzz Lightyear. And yeah, as has been pointed out. When you have uh, action figures that have the voice chips, you've usually got the actor's voice. So I mean, I've got, yeah. I've got a little, I've got a little Spock 
And, you know, I've got the <laughs> Spock figure, and you push the button, and you hear Leonard Nimoy's voice. I mean, that, that's right. what they do. You've got all of these Hallmark ornaments now with the actors playing the characters and lines of dialogue from the show. Right. So if you're using the logic that this light year movie is the inspiration for the toy, then the toy would be using the voice from the actor in the movie, in which case Tim Allen should be playing Buzz Lightyear in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. I think there was a lot of confusion in a sense because, you know, I, I don't want to, I mean, I want to give the audience credit for knowing that Lightyear, I would think you would associate with Buzz Lightyear, although it wasn't like overtly, correct me if I'm wrong, didn't seem like it was overtly pushed in that way. So I think there were a couple things, and I may have been one of those apologists over the opening weekend, because I'm like, why didn't this film do much better given the pedigree and the, you know, the history of Pixar and the branding? I think a, a, at least a couple of things happened, and you're right, Jason, it's never just one thing. It's yeah. always a, a combo because they had a good release date and all that seemed to fit into place. And there hadn't been really a, a family film out uh, in a, you know, in the, in the preceding couple of weeks. So they had other than Bob's Burgers, which wasn't really a factor. And uh, so I think there was a lot of expectation on this. But, yeah, you're right. I think if if you see the name Lightyear, then I guess you should make the leap that it's Buzz Lightyear the character from the beloved Toy Story movies, but it's not Tim Allen, so what is it? Uh, I think there was a a bit of that. But Jason, I've seen where just having a family film out there can generate some box office because families are always looking for something new in the theater. But I think the marketing maybe wasn't as clear as perhaps it, it could have been. And also remember the last couple of Pixar movies went straight to Disney Plus. So that was another one of my reasons for why maybe there was confusion by the consumer that hey is this just going to be on disney plus or is this going to be in theaters only and uh you know i don't know it's so many factors there and the movie i saw the first 30 minutes at cinemacon and which were actually pretty impressive but i haven't seen the entire film so i have to state that up be transparent about that okay but in looking at the box office with a 65% drop, there's only been, I think, three Pixar movies that dropped more than 60% in their second weekend, this being one of them. And it hasn't even crossed the 100 million mark domestically. Yeah, that 65% is a record for a Pixar movie ter- dropping drop. week to week. Well, it's a big drop for Pixar, that's for sure. The Okay, so it's it's interesting that you say you haven't seen the whole thing. So that that actually kind of makes a little bit of sense because I've got it from a couple of different sources. Because you mentioned, you know, Disney, Pixar, family-friendly, all of this. There's this expectation of what it's going to be. And I have it from a couple of different sources that the basic thrust of the story, and and this is going to be (laughs) spoiler-ish. Yeah, spoiler alert. (laughs) It's time time travel related. Yes, I caught that in the first 30 minutes for sure. Older Buzz comes back to keep younger Buzz from making a mistake. And Yes. Younger Buzz's mistake leads to lesbian couple who has a baby. So the, so the entire story centers around lesbian couple having a baby and Buzz is the bad guy. And yeah. you take that 
plus what Disney has been doing with all of this mess in Florida and the fact that the Pixar staff has been the most vocal in complaining about we can't put our LGBT stuff in the in the movies for kids because Disney won't let us. And right. you have this snowball effect, I think, where it's kind of like the same same thing with because Scott Mendelson has made the comparison to Solo. Completely, yeah. completely missing the point of why Solo failed. Solo failed because people didn't like The Last Jedi and it came out six months later and they said, nope, we're going to we're not going to do it. And this same kind of thing where <laughs> you have all of this stuff going on with Disney and the politics stuff. And people are sitting there going, well, wait a minute. The, I don't, I don't want to have anything to do with it. And so they're walking away from Disney projects, Disney product, be, not because of the story, not, not necessarily because of the quality of the film or whatever story they're telling, right. although that's a factor. But it's all of this other incidental stuff that's on the outside that people just don't want to have anything to do with it. And there's, you, well, know, you know, it's interesting, Jason, because traditionally, controversy... I, in my experience, in mm -hmm. looking at just sheer box office, has almost no impact on box office. In this case, though, perhaps it's it's hard to unpack that. It's hard to reverse engineer the performance of any given movie because there have been controversies surrounding a lot of different movies. Now, with a family film, it may be different. Yeah. Um, and often it just serves to raise awareness for a movie. And that can often lead to bigger box office initially, but then you see a steep drop off if people aren't responding to the movie. And you know, Minions, The Rise of Gru hasn't come out yet. It's coming out, I believe, July 1st. So it's kind of a wide open playing field. I mean, you got Elvis out there, Top Gun Maverick, which the tie finally broke this morning. We yeah. talked about that for a couple seconds. Uh, and then, you know, Jurassic World Dominion, which actually has been holding up pretty well despite pretty terrible reviews across the board. <laughs> um, and then the black phone opened with around 23 million. And then you had Lightyear dropping from a second place debut, which everyone thought would be the number one film when it opened to number five with uh, uh, close to $18 million this past weekend. So and really, I think there was all a lot those... going on with this movie for sure. Yeah, but no all question. of those other films are in completely different categories. So, exactly. so Lightyear I mean, really didn't have any competition. Other in the than family Bob's thing. Burgers, which is yeah. at number nine this weekend, it's been out for five weeks. So that's not really a factor. So definitely there's something going on here. Yeah. Um, and also remember, too, there is a lot of content for families at home as well. So there's a lot of competition there. But you know, if Minions opens to some huge number, which it probably will, kind of dig those movies. Uh, the Minions films are great. But yeah, I mean, anytime, look, if the storytelling is organic, if it's authentic, I have no quarrel. And I generally, I don't speak on, I'm not a critic and I'm, uh, I'm apolitical in terms of my <laughs> public persona. Which so is I very really smart. don't get yep. into that. <laughs> I just stay, I play it right down. Yeah. The, now, well, at home, that's a different thing. But well, I'm just saying, like, it's an interesting set of circumstances here with this movie. And I think it's uh, I think a lot of filmmakers and studios are going to take a hard look at the performance of this movie, try and unpack, you know, what exactly happened. Here. Yeah. Well, and and there's a there's an article in the Los Angeles Times. They're talking about the original pitch for this movie. Uh, the the Alicia Hawthorne character, which is one of the one of the lesbian couple people, mm -hmm. originally was not part of this story. 
And when they were going back through, because originally I think the Buzz had a romantic interest and and it didn't quite work and whatever, and they say, oh, let's let's right. let, you know let's do it as a lesbian couple, and all of a sudden it clicked. And that comes again. It, it's right in the midst of all of this, where you, you know the Pixar people are sitting there saying, "We want to put LGBT stuff in all of our stuff, in all of our material, and all of the stuff that's going ahead of kids." And you've got parents that are kind of dialing back a little bit, saying, "Well, wait a minute. I thought because you you even mentioned here the Disney company has been the family friendly brand. I mean." Yeah, you and I are both of an age. We both remember Touchstone Pictures and Hollywood Pictures coming out, oh, yeah. and, and because yep. Disney didn't want to put PG and PG thirteen films under the Walt Disney Pictures brand, right? It was right. okay. That's if we're right. going to do any edgy stuff, we're going to do it over here in Hollywood and Touchstone, and we can do that over there, and keep the Disney brand pure, as it were, as the family friendly thing, right? Now, well, I that's think, all I kind think of if the movie the reflects real life and what happens in the real world, that's absolutely fine and fair game. Again, going back to it needs to be authentic and organic. I, I don't like any, I'm speaking for all movies, any movie that manufactures a storyline for a uh, either a marketing reason or a, I don't know, a, another type of reason. I just want the storytelling to be organic. Also, I think parents with any film have to be made aware of what the content of that film is. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that kind of shows that the ratings, you know, the ratings are kind of a catch-all. You look at P, I, I was watching a movie yesterday that was rated PG from back in the 70s. Man, that would have been an R today because <laughs> they didn't have the PG-13. <laughs> right. And it was like, whoa, what, what's happening in this PG movie that I'm watching? Yeah. Um, and, you know, I don't mean to like evade the question, but it, it, I get, and I totally get what you're saying, but there's a lot of movies where there's portrayals of gay characters. And if it fits the story and it reflects real life, that's fine. But I, I, I get what you're saying. If you're a, you're a parent, you may want to know these things. And, and well, I would apply that to any movie, any subject matter, if you're going in there with yeah, your kids. But it, yeah. And that's the thing is you got this movie that's aimed at kids ostensibly Although it really, like you say, it doesn't really know what it is. Is are, are we marketing it to the adults who grew up on the Toy Story films? Are we marketing it to the kids as a Toy Story film or anything like that? But when you well, have... I think the, yeah, I think the bigger factor, though, is that marketing message. And, you know, it, it, again, it's hard to say what how big of a component the controversy surrounding the lesbian relationship is yeah. and how much of it is... Didn't really know this was that much to do with Toy Story. Didn't like that Tim Allen wasn't in it. And I think all I of that factors into it. So but, you know, you've got the the fourteen different countries that have banned the movie, and the the spin has been over the gay kiss, when it's not really just the kiss; it's the entire storyline that centers, you know, around the 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 lesbian relationship, mm-hmm. and. Okay, yeah, that's fine. You want to have you know lesbian, you know LGBT characters in your story. That's fine, whatever. Because yeah, real life, you know, there's a percentage of the population that's in that category. Yeah. Okay, fine. But when you get into a film aimed at kids, in the middle of all of this other mess with you know the you know drag queen library hour and the reading hour, and now we've got you know people parading naked down the street in pride month in front of kids i'm like 
what what's going on here? <laughs> there's an overall, I think there's an overall cultural context that cannot be ignored when you're looking at this because it becomes part of the whole, I think. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's it, really what it's about for, for me and, and as somebody who's watching more box office than the cultural aspects of a movie is that you have to just let people, the audience decide whether or not they want to see a movie based on all the marketing, right? right. So if you, if you have certain scenes in there uh, that people may object to, then perhaps you should have a PG-13 rating. I don't know. This is a tough one for me, Jason, because I just feel like if it's done authentically, then and it reflects the real world, which let's face it, the real world is full of a lot of different people, different backgrounds, and different countries and cultures have different views on various social, uh, more you know, social uh, constructs and that kind of thing. I think it's just up to the viewer to decide. Hey, I don't want to see that. You know, you can always opt out, but you do yeah. have to be given the information via the marketing or reading reviews or listening to people, you know, trusted sources and, and people such as yourself who really have your finger on the pulse of this. But I tend to not ever look at things through the lens of a political spectrum, but more just is the movie good? Is the marketing solid? All those usual things. But again, being just someone who likes to, I just focus on mainly the box office. I know you've had other guests on this show who'd probably be much better versed in this, some of whom have worked at Disney. And, and you know, I'd love to get their take yeah. on this. I would love to have Cameron on here again. He's kind Cameron, of taking, yeah, a, he's yeah. taking a sabbatical from YouTube. So because of other projects that he's working on. But yeah, because I'd, I'd love to get his take because I'm I would I'm not in the position of ever having worked at Disney or any of that. Um, I just feel like the movie, every movie rises and falls for a different set of circumstances. And if you look at Top Gun, why did that do so well? And it did well around the world. Well, it's a great movie and a great message and all that stuff. And, and Elvis uh, opened solidly this yeah. weekend. But I know, you know, focusing on Lightyear, I just think it's it's such a high profile brand pixar and of course under the disney umbrella that of course it's going to come under scrutiny and you make a point that you know the family aspect of it that's been sort of baked in the the dna of disney over the years and we grew up with with disney and every seven years they re-release one of their classics into a theater but we are you know in 2022 and we're going to see uh more movies reflecting that you know, the, the real world and what's going on and, and the points of view of different people. But every studio is going to be looking at what movies work and what movies don't that have that kind of aspect to it. Yeah. Well, but, and I think yeah. I think also, too, <clears throat> you're going to have this being scrutinized as well as the the stock price. I mean, here's Disney. It's 96, 96.58 a share right now. And you've got the L.A. Times is reporting because you've got their board of directors is getting ready to meet in Florida to talk about right. everything. Or are we going to renew Bob Chapek's contract? What are we going to do with parks? Big what are deal. We do with things? Yep. This is the thing. And, and to have Pixar fail so spectacularly ahead of this after Jeff Morrell leaves, after they fire Peter Rice and, you know, it, it just it feels like either. All of the dominoes are about to fall 
or things are lining up just perfectly for Disney's comeback. I mean, it, it, you're in this. Yeah, Schro that's Schrodinger's interesting. I mean, with Thor Love and moment. Thunder on the horizon. Yeah. I mean, and of course, Marvel's like the go to uh, for Disney and tends to always knock it out of the park. That's very interesting, though. Your, your take, though, is it is the beginning of something, the end of something yeah. we don't know yet. That's well, very and, interesting. and all of this, you know, all of this about, you know, Peter Rice and him kind of being one of the ringleaders on the internal issues that have been that have been going on, especially over Florida, but but other things to have yeah. him just summarily fired in a seven minute meeting is like, I don't have to explain myself to you. Just get out. And yeah. and it has to have everybody else kind of sitting up a little bit and taking notice. And and there's there's rumors, there's reports that the Pixar people have been told in the wake of all of this failure of your movie, sit down and shut up because Chris Evans doing his interviews, basically saying anybody who doesn't like it is an idiot and they're going to die like die out like dinosaurs. I, that didn't help in the marketing of things, I don't think. Yeah, yeah. That, it's a very dynamic time in this company, for <laughs> That's sure. That's way to put it. Uh, and again, I wish I could shed more light, or, or because again, I'm not, I mean, I always come at these things in a very pra pragmatic way. Sure. And you look at why one film does well, and why another, and, and again, what, what, part does controversy play in this i mean you'd have to you could pull the audience and or, you know ask the audience or potential audience why the other showed up or didn't it'll be interesting to see also how this does although we generally don't get streaming numbers uh but once this movie appears on disney plus yeah because there may be people who never saw it and are offended by the premise but might actually like or whatever they were offended by and might like the movie you know, a lot of times people who get upset about a movie have never seen it. And, yeah. and I'm not upset with the movie because, like I admit, I only saw the first 30 minutes. So, Well, and that's a good point because there are a number of people who make assumptions on either side of whatever issue it is based on whatever they see in the marketing or, or previews or, or early reviews or anything like that. And it's, I find it interesting that you look at something like Rotten Tomatoes, for example. Yeah. And I know that there are people who out there who don't who don't put any stock in Rotten Tomatoes after the Captain Marvel Last Jedi debacle. But this has uh, the the critic score at 75 percent, the audience score at 85 percent, which really kind of surprises me because if the numbers are any indication, nobody wouldn't saw this movie. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> well, not, those not who that did many. evidently like the movie and often. Uh, and not to minimize how people feel, what people's individual feelings are, yeah. but you know, you might just walk in, see the movie and go, what's the big deal? I'm super entertained and my kids are happy and whatever. But again, it's up to the individual. And then people have friends, a network of friends and colleagues who, and family that they can talk to about the movie. But yeah, the scores are actually pretty high. I mean, actually very high on the movie. And that audience scores particularly impressive but then again you had a 65 percent drop in that second weekend but it is getting mighty crowded out there yeah. but like you pointed out there's no exact uh competitor to Lightyear until really minions comes out and obviously that'll take over but uh very interesting marketplace and i i'm glad you showed the rotten tomatoes 
because it does sometimes there's like this weird disconnect where like how could 90 percent of the audience like the movie yet it's dropping yeah. pretty precipitously but again it's not game over for Lightyear because it will have a life on Disney Plus and on streaming right. down the road. But well, and I very know, interesting situation nonetheless. Yeah, and I know Sci-Fi Snob makes the makes a, a point in the chat. No one believes Rotten Tomatoes, and and I've I've questioned, I, I've questioned Rotten Tomatoes since I learned that uh, two or three of the executives that run it used to work for Disney, and when the numbers when I mean Captain Marvel was the big eye of eye opener for me because you know all of those numbers got skewed we saw what happened over on YouTube with uh, you know a lot of a lot of shenanigans there as far as the algorithm anything having to do with Brie Larson or Captain Marvel and then the last Jedi the same thing and I think that Captain Marvel probably performed better because it was in between two Avengers movies and it was positioned such that, oh, you need to watch this before you go into the next <laughs> Avengers movie because it sets something up. Because it's how Marvel's been doing it. And it right. turns out you could you could see Avengers, you know, Infinity War and Endgame without seeing Captain Marvel at all. And it wouldn't have made yeah, a but difference. You feel like you have to see every exactly. single one. That's the genius of Marvel, the, the contiguous if that's a word, yeah. nature of it. <laughs> we have to keep seeing them. But I, I just say to people, if you haven't seen the movie and you're against the movie, see the movie and then see how you feel. I mean, I, I think it's, and you know, and I, I, I'm looking at it purely or mainly from the box office perspective. And I'm just looking at, again, the, it's called Lightyear. It's not Toy Story Lightyear yeah. or, you know, it's not Tim Allen, who was awesome, obviously, as Buzz Lightyear. And again, with the, the last, two, three movies of Pixar not being released in theaters, maybe families are just waiting for it to come to the small screen. But I just always say, make your own determination after you've seen the movie. Now there may be some who feel like, well, I don't want to pay to see the movie. What if I don't like it? But right. Well, and, we do and that every got, day. We go to movies and we take we take that risk that it's going to be a great movie. Well, and you've got people that are out there saying, I don't, you know, even even if it turns out to be a good movie, I don't want to give I don't want to give Disney my business because of how they've been acting. So, yeah, you know, there's and that's that, people's right to do that. Know. I just think that everyone, you know, if you have the information, you see the movies you want to see based on either the ratings, the reviews. The, the the even the box office some people look at that and, and a low box office can often hurt movies because people say oh i don't have fomo because nobody else clearly wants to see right. a particular movie so it's it's a dynamic time we're living in jason for sure <laughs> it is all right i'm going to let you have the last word on that paul Garabedian, he is the host of the mini screens big picture podcast and he's also a senior media analyst at comscore uh, you can find him over at uh, Twitter, uh, P. DeGarabedian. And uh, he comes in every now and again and gives us his wisdom and thoughts. And I'm glad you were able to carve out some time to do it today. Thank you, Jason. I always appreciate it. Great to see you. All right. We'll talk to you soon. And we will be back right after this. Don't go anywhere. Live from the bunker, the show that's at least more interesting than watching paint dry. Hi everyone, Jason Hunt here, inviting you to join us every Saturday morning for news. The week's headlines in science fiction, fantasy, horror, comic books, video games, plus Comic-Con updates and the weather. 
and the occasional interview along the way. We call it Good Morning Multiverse. We hope you join us every Saturday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern, 10 Central, right here on Sci-Fi for Me TV. Foreign Bodies, Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern, only on Sci-Fi for Me TV. Back, live from the bunker. Always good to have Paul on the show. Paul's in a unique position because Comscore looks specifically at box office performance in terms of marketing and and uh, budgets and and that sort of thing. I certainly do think that the that the marketing of this movie had a lot to do with its failure. I mean, you look at you you look at uh, for example, you look at how Lucasfilm was was approaching Kenobi at the beginning of Kenobi before the movie before the before the series ever started and it was basically one of these predetermined things according to them that if you weren't going to like Kenobi that you were a racist. And then you have you know, you have uh, Chris Evans coming out basically saying, well, if you don't like this movie, you're a bigot and you're going to die. The way, you're, you're going to go the way of the dinosaur. That kind of thing doesn't help. We learned that, you know, like I said, during during the marketing of of Captain Marvel. I don't know. It just it just seems to me that there there's there's more on the outside coming in determining the success or failure of these programs and i i think that you know chris evans replacing tim allen probably had more to do with it than a lot of people realize one because tim allen was the original voice and the character was built around him and two people recognized now that tim allen being a conservative is not getting as much work as he used to because he's a conservative. We saw that happen with his show on Fox. And, you know, there's a lot of people. Patricia Heaton has come out and spoken up, uh, about this. There are a lot of people who are making the assumption, and it is an assumption because nobody has confirmed this. There hasn't been any kind of an official report. There is an assumption that Tim Allen got replaced because he's a conservative. And we just don't do that kind of thing anymore. Whether that's true or not, the perception is out there. And I think that factors into it. And then you have the whole thing with Florida, and you have the just the mess that Disney's in right now. <clears throat> but I also think, you know, like we're talking about, you've got this board, the board of directors is meeting in, in Florida coming soon and this could be the beginning of the end of the woke privileged nonsense that was instigated through Bob Iger's people Peter Rice is gone Jeff Morrell left because nobody listened to him and he said stay out of the politics 
And they dove into the politics because you got these activist employees at people, you know, places like Pixar. And Morell said, you're not going to listen to me. I'm done. I'm leaving. I don't think he was fired. I think Jeff Morell left on his own because nobody would listen to him when he said, don't do politics. Stay out of it. I mean, Jeff Morell managed a PR nightmare with that oil... Uh, that oil rig, the the uh, the oil gusher thing underwater down in the Gulf. That was a nightmare, and he managed that crisis. But that because that's what he does. And you've got a potential crisis setting up here with Disney versus Florida, and Morell's like, "Don't do it." And they went and did it. And Peter Rice is one of the instigators of all of that. I don't know if Dana Walden is going to follow his lead. But Dana Walden is probably on notice right now. It's like, don't you do what Peter did or you're going to be out the door just the same as he was. I don't know. Snob says, I just want a good story. I don't care if it's gay or straight. And that's what most people are... That That's what most people are, are saying. You know, get don't give me a message. Entertain me. <clears throat> Keely says, if you want to see a Tim Allen character in space, just watch Galaxy Quest, which is more Star Trek than Alex Kurtzman's Star Trek. <laughs> it is. It is. And I gotta say, okay, just a very quick side note here with regard to Star Trek. We watched Star Strange New Worlds over the weekend, saw the fantasy episode, right, where everybody's dressed up in costume and whatnot. And it's a, it's a, it's not a bad episode as far as that goes until the end. They lost me at the end. The decision that Dr. Mabenga makes with regard to his daughter, I almost came up off the couch. I was that angry about the ending to that episode. I'm not going to spoil it because there are some people like, you know, Snob hadn't seen it yet. There, I, I'm not going to spoil it here. But the decision that he makes had me so livid I couldn't even explain it to Mindy because we're sitting there watching this and I'm I, the I well it, anyway as a father I can tell you I can tell you with 90 90 plus percent certainty that whoever wrote that episode has not had kids. That's a guess on my part, but the 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 amount of I I'm not I I don't know I'm not I'm it made me angry. It made me very very angry because I've some some of you know I've mentioned this before. I have been in that position where my child is going to die. My firstborn lived two days. And to see this episode and to see the decision that Mabenga makes after all of this time establishing his drive and his passion and his need to cure his kid 
for him to make the decision that he did was so completely inconsistent with what they've what they've established with everything else. And I can say with 110% certainty that if I had been in that position, I would not do what he did. I'll say that. But anyway, back to this because Chapek's got to hit. Got you know this is the this is the board of directors meeting where they're going to decide whether or not they're going to extend his contract as CEO. Now that could go one of two ways. One of three ways. One option is the board sits there and they say, you know, we like what you're doing. We know you're trying to fix things. Keep at it. Here's another three years. Option two is you're not handling all of the controversy well enough. Things are just not not recovering fast enough. The shares, the shareholders are irritated. The share price is down. We're $96. We've lost 50% of our stock value in the last year. You're out. That's two. Option three is Bob Chapek comes in and says, you know what? I've been thinking it's not worth the hassle. Convince me that I need to stay. Give me a reason to keep going and to stay here and put up with all this crap. That's option three. And I have to wonder. I have to wonder if Chapek might not be in that position right now. If he might be frustrated enough that he walks in there and says, you know what, if you want me to stay and fix this thing, make it worth my time. Give me all the control. Give me the ability to make whatever decisions that I need to make across the board. Give me the sword. And let heads roll. Because that's what it's going to take. Because there's too many people that Bob Iger put into place that are undermining the operation. See, if I'm, if I'm Chapek, I'm in there, I'm saying, let me do my job. Give me the resources, give me the authority, give me the latitude to do my job the way I think it needs to be done, and let me fix the company, or I walk. That's option three. Who knows? how that how that meeting is going to go because now with peter rice gone who's in place to replace him dana walden i don't know that that's gonna go over well with the shareholders because shareholders are sitting there looking at 96 dollars a share and saying hey what's wrong here that's a problem. That's a problem. Now, stop. Let me let me uh, let me make this one note. Mabenga does not kill his own daughter. <laughs> I will I will say I will spoil it that much, but no. Um, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, for the most part, Strange New Worlds has been pretty good. There's been a couple of episodes that's kind of, eh, these last two episodes have been a little bit more shaky for me, personally. But from, mainly from a story standpoint, from a consistency of, of character standpoint. The whole Spock to Pring thing is stupid. 
and completely inconsistent with everything that's been established before in canon. And and as Mindy likes to remind me, I have fixed in my head that this is an alternate universe, Star Trek. This is not prime William Shatner, Jim Kirk Star Trek. It's just not. It's an alternate universe Star Trek, and I'm fine with that, and it's okay. I mean, the Enterprise is mostly pretty impressive. I, I still think that the, the inside, the bridge is too big. The bridge set is too big, and I get it. You're swinging around a bunch of cameras and lights, and what you, but it's too big. And it's not the correct color scheme. But that's just me. But that's that's again reinforces this is this is an alternate universe. This is a different timeline. This is not prime timeline. It's not it's not Kelvin timeline either. But you know what do I know? Nobody asked me. And yes, stop. It is better than Discovery or Picard. And yeah, that's a it's a very low 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 bar. <clears throat> but you know what are you gonna do? You know, they, if you're at the bottom, all you can do is go up. Right? Stay positive. Stay optimistic. At some point, they're going to deliver a Star Trek that knocks it out of the park. Kurtzman's not going to do it, but somebody will. I don't know if it'll be Holly or somebody else that comes in after everybody. I don't know. Who knows? Maybe Brian Fuller will eventually come back and do a Star Trek, and it'll be exactly what we want. But probably not. I don't know. I just... It, yeah, anyway. I don't know. I just... You know, you look at, you look at the failure of Lightyear, and I think it's less the story... Well, it is... There is the story... And there is that part of it where people are responding to the story and saying, no, thank you, not my kid. But it's within, it has to be looked at within the overall cultural context, I think. And I get, you know, Paul's got to be focused on a particular aspect of this. That's his job. That's the nature of being a media analyst. He's looking at it from that standpoint. But from the cultural zeitgeist aspect of this, this is part of a bigger cultural conflict. I'm not going to call it a war yet. I'm not going to get all Tim Pool on you and say we're in the middle of a civil war, although I do think that we're very, very, very close. And it's political as well as cultural. It's not going to be the same kind of civil war like we had back in the 1860s. It's going to be a different one. But I mean, because the shooting has the, the shooting hasn't started in earnest yet. We're close. We're very, very close. I think I think November is going to be the turning point for some people. But the the overall thing with with you know overturning Roe and you've got all of this. I mean, Scotus came out today with a with a ruling that's basically in favor of freedom of religion, and we're going to get people blowing a gasket about that. And you have these you know drag queen reading sessions and the and the dance parties and the whatnot where you've got kids attending these events where. 
you know, I mean, Christina Aguilera is walking around with a strap on and it's, it's, it's not, it's not restrained anymore. It's, we're going to do this and we're going to get in your face with it and it's going to be all over the place. They've gotten militant about it and activist about it. More so than they ever have before. And yeah, I know, this is the, the, the culture war has been going on for a long time. But it's in the last four or five years, they've said, okay, gloves are off. We're going to start throwing bricks. And they're, they're beating us over the head with more representation and the intersectionality of all of this. And you've got stuff that's going on in the schools. And you have pedophile rings being picked up by, you know, employees of employees of the Walt Disney theme parks being picked up as part of this stuff. I mean, where does it end? You get news article after news article and things happening that says you've got an entire group of people that's bent on grooming kids sexually. That's not cool. That's not acceptable to a majority of the people, especially if they're parents. They're sitting there going, you're not touching my kid. I think that's one of the reasons why you got the, the, the Arizona uh, state legislature coming out with school vouchers. We're going to earmark $7,000 per kid. You're going to take your kid whatever school you want to go to. Public school, parochial school, school, you know, home school, whatever. That's a win for parents. When you have the, the, the National School Board Association wanting the Department of Justice to sit there and consider parents to be domestic terrorists because they don't like what's being taught in the schools, that's a problem. And I think that overall, as part of all of this, Lightyear just drops in and says, oh, hey, by the way, we've got this time travel story where if Buzz doesn't make his mistake that he has, you know, if, if Buzz doesn't do what he's supposed to do, then the lesbian couple can't have a baby. That's the story. And people look at it and go, what? Why are you, that's, what, huh? that's not a Toy Story movie. Maybe you see that on HBO or depending on what's what's involved, maybe you see it on 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 Showtime or Cinemax. It's the same kind of story you see over there. Absent the time travel stuff. But when but when older Buzz comes back and older Buzz apparently is Zerg. What do you do with that? You know, we talked a little bit about about Top Gun. Top Gun's a billion-dollar baby now, and there's a reason for that, because the heroes are heroes. You have a clear delineation between good guys and bad guys. There's an emotional arc. The, the characters have an arc. The characters have growth and development. There's a, there's a, 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 a romantic story in the middle of it. Now, why in the world? Okay, so YouTube gives us 
as as administrators of our channel when people leave comments in the chat occasionally they'll get held for review they don't go public right off the bat cam says hello to Mazerus, and for whatever reason that got that got caught youtube's drunk by the way hi Mazerus. it's good to see you There's no reason to go see Lightyear. I mean, if you want to go see Lightyear, that's fine. Go do it. But, mm. <laughs> Keely says, Top Gun Maverick is better than the Navy's pronoun video. Yeah. Because Top Gun Maverick tells a story that entertains. There are stakes. What happens if he loses? What happens if he doesn't come back? What happens if he doesn't if they if they don't finish the mission? And there's women pilots and there's men pilots and there's blacks in the in the crew and you know you've got an at and you've got a black admiral. Oh, how progressive. Oh you know, I'm like why? It's patriotic, yes, Mindy's got a good point. It's a patriotic movie. But as soon as it's out, people are talking about how it's toxic masculinity and the patriarchy. Oh, we can't have films like this. We can't have good films like this. Well, the audience begs to differ. Because I've seen multiple places where people are sitting there saying, I'm going to go see it for the third time, fourth time. There's a reason why Top Gun Maverick is as successful as it is. Because it's treating the original material with the proper amount of respect. And it's treating the characters from the original with the proper amount of respect. Force Awakens, are you taking notes? Lucasfilm, are you looking at this? Because the comparison has been made, and I think rightly so. Top Gun Maverick is the kind of sequel that The Force Awakens should have been. The kind of sequels that the entire sequel trilogy should have been. Because now, uh, up until the point, up until when Maverick came out, it was theoretical. But now you have a movie that is a sequel 36 years after the original. Same kind of time frame between Maverick and Top Gun as there is with sequel trilogy and the originals. And, 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 and prequel trilogy. All, we haven't had a Star Wars movie in 30 years. Now here's Force Awakens. Maverick, we haven't had a Top Gun movie in 36 years. Now here it is. So you have a side-by-side -side comparison that you can do to a certain point that nobody was able to do before. Top Gun Maverick is the sequel that the Star Wars sequel trilogy should have been. Uh, stop I, I can tell you that that I don't I don't think well 50 plus year old Tom Cruise doesn't look like a 50 plus year old Tom Cruise I mean he's in good shape and the fact that they shot that the fact they shot that beach scene twice because Cruise wanted it to be better 
Yeah, you know everybody's everybody's work. Yeah, everybody hit the gym and is working out and you know, getting all cut and ripped and whatever and fine. Yeah, we almost had a Goonie sequel. Uh, look, uh, the thing is, the the material is treated with respect. They could very easily have gone a different direction. They could have turned Maverick into a parody of himself. They could have turned him into a Jake Skywalker type of character where he's beating himself up and he's just given up. He's just done. And, and the way they brought back Val Kilmer... And Iceman was perfect. Letter perfect. If you if you want lessons on filmmaking, watch Casablanca. Watch two thousand one. Watch Back to the Future. The first one. Watch Star Wars. The first one. The Godfather, Superman 1978, Maverick is an excellent sequel to Top Gun because of the callbacks, because of the continuity, and the respect that it has for the original. What we thought we were getting from Star Wars that we didn't get. And same kind of thing with Lightyear. Lightyear should be something that has a lot more respect for the original material than it does. It's a completely unnecessary film. There's no reason for it to be in existence. There's no reason for us to have it. Nobody asks for it. Nobody needs it. Nobody wants it. Don't matter. And then when you hear what the story is, don't care. But also stop and consider that the failure for Lightyear gives Bob Chapek an advantage and gives him leverage over the, the, the Pixar crybullies who tried to get him to bend the knee. And he did for a little bit. We saw the hostage video that he did. But I think strategically, long term, I think Chapek's got an advantage because... I don't know that he would have fired Peter Rice if he didn't think that he was dealing with a position of strength. I don't think he fired Peter Rice because Peter Rice is nipping at his heels and wants his job. I think he fired Peter Rice because Peter Rice instigated a mutiny. That's my opinion. And I also think he fired Peter Rice in order to put Dana Walden in her place and say, don't do it. Don't do what he did. You're on notice. You do your job and you bring us good material for film and television and that's all you do. Because now Dana Walden has to be looking at Bob Chapek thinking, okay, if I screw up by the numbers, I'm next. Because Chapek's just made it very clear that he's not going to put up with any more shenanigans. So it is definitely going to be interesting to see how this board of directors meeting 
goes in Florida. And I know a lot of people are going to be paying attention to it. A lot of people are going to be wondering just exactly how it goes. Because it's not just about Chapek's contract as CEO. It's everything. Because you're gonna have you're gonna have everything to do with parks. What are the parks gonna do? And and I'm sure that that conversation is going to include what's going on with with Galactic Space Space Cruiser, Star Wars Hotel, whatever, five thousand dollars a package that nobody's buying. Why did this fail? Well, they got people out there in California that said, "Come in, come in and do a." a Focus group will pay you $175 to tell us why you didn't buy our product. That's not going to go well. I wonder how many people are actually going to take them up on it. The price of parks is outrageously high. It's not for the, the regular people anymore. You have to, you have to save up you have to save up for years to be able to afford to go. Who wants to do that? I've got better things to do with my money. <coughs> yeah, $5,000 to stay in a windowless hotel room. If I want, I can turn I can turn one of my monitors into a window and I can look at anywhere in the world and I don't have to leave my basement. So, you know, the way it is. Lightyear is another symptom of the disease that has infected the Walt Disney Company. And <clears throat> Bob Chapek has got to cut it out. He's got to cut the cancer out of his company if he's going to save it. Either that or he walks away from it. I don't, I don't, I don't see any other options here. He can't go along with it. Because if he does, he's weak as a leader, he's weak as a corporate executive, and whatever next job comes, it won't be his. So he has to exert some control here, he has to exert some leadership, and, and be a little bit more dynamic and active and proactive, and, and let's get the thing done. And it's going to be painful for a little bit, but we're going to come out and we're going to have our stock price back to $150 a share. But Pixar failure gives him some leverage where he can sit there and say, okay, we did it your way, now it's my turn. And you're going to do it my way or else here's the door. I think maybe, maybe that's what's about to happen. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Like I said, it's, it's Schrodinger's meeting right now. Either this is the end of Chapek's era as CEO and everything is done and Disney's toast. Or this is the beginning of Chapek's ascension to I'm going to save the company whether you like it or not. You're fired. You're fired. You're fired. You're fired. We'll see. I don't know. Anyway... That's all I got to say about that. At least for now, I'm sure it'll come up again. Tonight, we've got a new H2O podcast, Monday night, 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 Central. I have no idea what we're going to be talking about. Well, I got an idea. 
I got an idea, but we'll we'll see. Tomorrow night, the Ranker Pit. We're back, 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 Central, to talk about the finale of Kenobi, or as I call it, show me the baloney. And then on Wednesday night, R.J. Carter and I doing our new cooperative project, Blast from the Bunker. We are going to be talking with Stephen Bassett of the Paradigm Research Group about UFOs and such. That's uh, Wednesday night at uh, 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 Central. Hope you check out that new uh, that new experiment. We'll see how that goes. And so far, I mean, the first one first one went fine. We'll see what happens with the second one. So. Hopefully, uh, hopefully we'll have we'll have something worth talking about coming up on the program tomorrow. Drew Hancock will be my guest. He is the community coordinator at Odyssey, and we're going to talk about Odyssey as a video platform, as a YouTube competitor, and uh, who knows? We'll uh, we'll maybe talk about uh, getting some more people signed up to follow us on Odyssey. I don't know. We're kit- we're sitting there at uh, I think 100 and 163 right now. We need more over at Odyssey. So check us out over there. All right, that's going to do it for us today. Thanks very much for being here, folks. Remember, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. And there are four lights. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi for Me Radio. Copyright 2022 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.